The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Well, I had this idea for a podcast because I've seen so many companies struggle with one of the biggest components for scaling their business, and that's sales. It's the balance of getting the right personality, the right leader, making sure it's in lockstep with the product. And so with this crazy idea, I'm like, hey, let's do a podcast series. And I reach out to Adam Jolly. And Adam's like, I think Adam, like in two seconds, you're like, I'm in. Yeah, it was a no-brainer for me. I was in. And why was that? Because podcasting's not easy all the time. No, I think the biggest thing, sales is such a forgotten piece of not just our industry, but all industries, really. Yeah, for sure. There's no white papers on sales. There's no, you know, conferences, like, just on sales. And a lot of times, like, it's almost, like, shoved into this place where we don't want to talk about it. Like, we want to believe like, we're in this nonprofit type industry to where, like, things just happen, like, sales and one money just comes in the door. I and mean, it's frowned upon. And even, like, I find myself, like, rolling my eyes on, like, the sales videos and, you know, the how-tos on LinkedIn and those type of cheesy type things. So I thought if we could talk about sales and the aspect of how did you get here? What is, like, the psyche around it? How do you prepare for it? Not so much asking people what their sales processes are, but more so, like, what's it take? Like, what are the, you know, if we talk about market research, we always hear the intangibles are curiosity. You talk about data, it's always like organization or be able to find like patterns of some type of sorts. And is there an intangible that people have when it comes to sales? Yeah. And listen, if we do anything and we're doing a two-part series with different salespeople, sales professionals, but if we do anything, my measure of success of this podcast is that senior leaders understand a psychology of sales, understand what, how you need to think about it as a profession, how it integrates into the organization, and really the psychology of what makes a salesperson tick. What do you think? Is that a good goal? It's a great goal. Yeah. If we can scratch the surface of that goal, I'll be in. Yeah. Okay. We'll scratch the surface. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, I'm so excited. We have our first panel of sales professionals joining us today. We have Tacey Avedikian, who is the Senior Director of Customer Development at Innovate MR. Welcome, Tacey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. And we also have Calista Corley, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of Fuel Cycle. Thanks for coming on, Calista. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you all. Thank you. So we have so many interesting questions we want to ask you guys about your career, why sales, but let's start with the basics. And Tacey, let's start with you. Why are you in sales? What attracted you to sales and has kept you there? Yeah. That's a great question and one that I have been asked a few times. And I actually didn't start in sales and I don't know if I ever really thought I would go that direction. But as my career progressed and I realized how much I enjoyed connecting with people, but, you know, not just connecting, but really understanding on a deeper level, like what is the problem? What do they like? I mean, is it a business problem or, you know, even like what is their family life like, you know, trying to build those relationships that, 
people, you know, came to me for more things because they trusted me, even if it was something that I couldn't do, they, you know, wanted to chat about it and see if I knew someone or something that could. And that just kind of spiraled into my boss and my first market research role being like, have you ever considered going into sales? I think you would really like it. You know, you get to talk with people all day long and it's an always changing environment. And so I gave it a run and now here I am, guys you know, seven years later, still doing it and still loving it. So yeah, I was kind of just fell into it, I guess. So you never really thought, you know, when you were entering your career, like I 100% want to go into sales. No, honestly. And I think that I kind of had like a bad taste almost to the word sales. I didn't want to be a salesman or, you know, people used to come knock on my door and my parents would be like, don't answer the door or, you know. Right. Um, so I just know sales was never really in my train of thought. But now that I'm in it, I view it totally different. And yeah, I'm so glad. And now I recommend it to people all the time. Like, well, you should go into sales. <laughs> Yeah. And how about you, Calista? Yeah. So it's funny. So Tacey and I are alike in that I also didn't start in sales. I started in operations and then I actually led operations teams, but I was always the front facing dealing with escalations. And that's where I really excelled. And I realized that I had, you know, an ability to connect with people and to solve problems. And as Tacey said, that's to me what sales is about. I will say that I sold Flintstone vitamins when I was like seven years old around the neighborhood and got busted. Oh my gosh. So I've always had, I guess, a little bit of a sales bone in my body. So my parents would say they're not surprised that I'm in sales. Right. Were they your own vitamins and you were selling like one-off pills? Oh yeah. Don't you remember those? They tasted so scrumptious. They're like candy. Um, in fact, I'll blame my sister too, because she's a year older and it was totally her idea, but so I funny. think I sold more than her. So, <laughs> you know. There goes that competitive bug as well. I think they still make those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like there is definitely like, I was just talking with somebody the other day, like flavored vodkas. If you came out with a Flintstone flavored vodka, mm. I'm in. Oh, right? Funny. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, uh, you know, I wanted to hit on something. Both of you kind of said like, you kind of, um, you didn't expect to be in sales. And I think that is something that a lot of people, whether market research data, whatever your industry is, like you don't expect to get into sales. And I almost wonder, is that a lack of understanding? Is that like some kind of stigma that you had? I know like, Tacey, you even mentioned like, you didn't want to be like the sales guy, like the door-to-door guy or some of like the dudes that post videos on LinkedIn about how to sell stuff. What is it that like really maybe halted you from going into sales versus actually then accepting those type of jobs? Yeah, sure. I'll shoot for that one. I would say just Adam, as you said, so I think a lot of times the thought around sales jobs, even today, we picture people in like a war room with phones dialing for dollars and it sounds sort of fun, but it's sort of dialing the phones just constantly and getting no's and yelled at. And I think that's the image of sales and people see that and they, you know, at least for me, I saw that and thought, yeah, I could do that for a little bit, but I want to really spend time understanding and learning. And I think a lot of the best sales leaders and the best sales people 
are people who are constantly wanting to learn. And if you have this thirst for knowledge and you want to get better every single day, you want to be having like really in-depth conversations about solving problems. So that idea of a war room and selling, you know, that doesn't even work anymore, by the way, but that's another story. But that's unattractive to most people, in my opinion, that will be the best of the best sales talent you find. Yeah. And I mean, just to add on to that, I think the learning part, you know, I think the hesitation with me even thinking about sales initially was, you know, what, who am I to be creditable enough to get people to do what I say or, you know, to make them buy, you know, I didn't want to lose myself in pitching something totally cheesy or that I don't believe in. And, you know, then build like have that stigma with me of like, oh, she sold me this type of thing. So I don't know, I guess I just always viewed sales as just kind of like bad guy. And then as Calissa said, like actually getting into it and learning, you know, what it is that you are sharing with people. I mean, it's really not selling. It is sharing. Like you are sharing with them a tool that can change so much for them. So it's interesting. Both of you guys didn't start in sales. You eventually got there. I'm curious what you think, how people perceive you in a sales role, like either internally or in your family, whatever. Like, what do you think the perception is of you being in sales? I think we can make a meme. Maybe there are a few. I feel like there's the one of like what you think (laughs) or what people think you look like, what you think you look like and what you actually look like. Yeah. I know even like with my kids, my husband's also in sales. So he's kind of, you know, like he understands. The sales word is really all that my parents get because when I try to explain to them the market research piece of it, they're so confused all the time. It's something different. So they always just say, she sells surveys. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it works, I guess. I'm not putting that on my LinkedIn, but it works. And then my kids are just like, what, what do you mean? You, you know, what you sell things like, I mean, where do they, do they give you money for it? And it's like, well, it's not like a store, you know, I'm not like working a counter or something. So I think everyone just kind of views it different. But as far as clients, I don't, sales has been tough, especially as the time has gone on for me. I don't know about you, Calista, but it's hard, even just having that, you know, customer development, client development, word in my title, I feel like right away, people are always like, oh, you know, like she must have an ulterior motive for trying to talk to me or, you know, like an agenda. And it's hard. So I know a lot of people, I always refer to myself as like a partner. Oh, you know, we should partner together um, instead of a vendor. Because I do feel like the sales kind of line and title creates that kind of stigma again for our area. Yeah. So from a perception perspective, I could go so many ways on this, but um, a couple of things I would say is sales is really hard and it's harder right now than it ever has been. And so you cannot be really incredible sales talent or leader if you aren't very intelligent, have the ability to really be thoughtful, educated, research, pivot quickly identify patterns, right? Like you have to be smart. You also have to be competitive. You have to want to win. You have to want your team to win. It's not an easy combination, but I mentioned that because we were talking about, you know, sales earlier and were we going to be in sales and we think that no, but sales has evolved so drastically and I am so proud to have revenue in my title. And I am like loud about that because sales is not just trying to sneak you into getting something, you know, so I get a buck 
that right? you didn't That's want. what sales yeah. is. And if anyone doesn't know yeah. that, then see you later, talk to you another day. But uh, it's a right. hard job. So yeah. I hope that people perceive Tacey and I as educated, amazing women who are, you know, helping people solve problems. And that's what, what we're doing. I will also say that my proudest moment is when a woman and a young woman comes to me and says, Hey, Calista, tell me about your journey to being a, a CRO. I look up to that. So that means more to me than any sale that I would ever bring in. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing because it's hard. It's a valuable profession you are helping people and to be able to guide and mentor women or men, it doesn't matter, people. I hope that's something that I get to continue to do because that's really, really important. Yeah, that's awesome. And Tacey, just, you're not a, like my kids tell people that I work for the internet. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to explain that. That thing, the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, I work for the internet. But I think there's a big piece there and both of you kind of touched on it with like this perception of sales because it really is something that is ingrained in you. Talk a little bit more and Calista, you kind of touched on it. What are some of those like tangible things like, yes, competition, curiosity, organization? What are some of those things that, that you have, but also like, what are you looking for when you're looking for like a successful salesperson? Say it is on that entry level part. Yeah, you nailed a couple of really important ones. I'll be honest, and my recruiters know this. I pick it up very quickly. And I think any really good sales leader can really assess people not to rush the process at all but understanding pretty quickly. And I think it's about a couple of things. We talked a little bit earlier about connection. You cannot use your beautiful brain and help people solve problems if you don't have the ability to connect with people. And so great if you're curious, that's awesome. But if you can't connect in a way where I'm engaging in a conversation and I want to be talking to you, then you're not going to be successful in sales. So for me, it's about that ability to connect is absolutely has to be number one. Um, and then authenticity. We're hearing that a lot actually about research and research results and data, but that's always been something on my list whenever I'm recruiting for any role. People want to talk to people who are real. You can look at them and I do it every day. I talk to prospects and I'm like, oh, I screwed that up. Or, oh man, I was not prepared on that one. Good question. Like, you know, like be a real human. We're all human. And so when I'm talking to people who are thinking about sales, if you have that ability to connect, if you have the authentic personality and you can back it up with curiosity, knowledge, then you're going to be money. I completely agree. And I was totally going to throw out the authenticity piece because I do feel like I have like a couple buzzwords that I feel like are trending right now. And it's authenticity, which is good. And then agile. I feel like that's all I am hearing lately or seeing on LinkedIn. But I think the authenticity piece is really important just because you want, you know, you want to be able to relate. I mean, and there's so many different levels that you can relate on. And the fact that, you know, if you take a meeting, you someone goes out on a whim for me and takes a meeting. And then the next time we talk, I maybe ask them the same question again, or, you know, like, I don't remember maybe a little piece about them or something. It just, I feel like that shows that I wasn't even listening. So I did really meet with them on an agenda and I want it to be deeper than that. So the authenticity piece is huge, but then I also think the learning, you know, someone market research is like its own language. 
So if you don't really understand the industry, I think you really need to have a personality that wants to continue to grow and to learn and understand, but then also to pivot because things are changing so much and there's always something new or a new technology to learn about. So someone who you feel like is really almost like a self-starter, I mean, you still get training, but someone who gives you that perception that they're just going to go out there and they're going to learn all they can and, you know, give it their all. (laughs) It's independent, self-starter type personality. We're lucky that our first part of the sales discussion, we have both of you that are women. And, you know, as an industry, we continue to look around and say, why can't we attract more women into the sales profession? How can we get more women in sales leadership roles? I'm not asking you to solve that problem, but I'm not going to pivot to say, How are men and women different in sales? What do you see in terms of style and characteristics? This is a real loaded question these days. I love it because we don't improve until we talk about this stuff. So, First of all, one thing you said, I think we can solve it. And I think we have an obligation to solve it. And I intend to solve it for my team. And that means that I think about it every single day in terms of diversity of thought, diversity of style, um, all of that stuff when I'm thinking about building out my team. And I don't care if anyone says that's controversial. You shouldn't think about that stuff like boo-hoo. You should because diversity on team is necessary and women deserve to be a part of sales organizations and to lead sales teams. And actually, I think they're really damn good at it. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. I think about that. At the end of the day, there are definite differences. And I think together, you're better. And that sounds cheesy, but it's true. We talked about connection and authenticity. We haven't really touched on empathy. I know, Tacey, we've talked about this before. I find that uh, women and, and many men too, but women naturally have this empathy. And they have this connection and sort of like walls down when it comes to selling. And that's very comfortable. And I think that works very, very well, especially in our industry. When with research, you're you're literally, the industry's moving so fast and these companies need help today so bad. Um, And they're trying to figure out how to pivot and change quickly that you have to be able to connect fast. And I think that women just have that empathy where they can open up those doors and conversations really quickly. Um, that's one one thing that I notice um, in terms of women that that they bring to the table more naturally. That is a really good skill. And I will say we have these conversations as a sales team. And these are things that, you know, people like me can teach other people and talk to, you know, Josh on my team about how important that is and a skill that he can learn. So I think just being open about this stuff is super important. So thanks for bringing it up. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today i kind of feel like sometimes it can be a good cop bad cop situation you know in the togetherness like calista was saying where you know maybe i we if tag teaming 
with one of my, you know, sales colleagues, male sales colleagues, I mean, it's always seems to enlighten the meeting, if that's like a good way to say, I mean, I think that because we both bring different perspectives, and then we can be relatable, you know, from several fronts. But yeah, I think the empathy, and maybe at least for me, I know one thing is like, just that kind of like aggressive approach. I feel like, you know, I am more hesitant to bring like the full aggression. I just want to make sure they know, you know, that they feel a little bit comfortable with me sharing before I just require them to spit out all their information. You build trust. Even our sales team, it's like, I'm the only female on the team, but not because Innovate MR, Mike Anderson, you got some work to do, buddy. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) No, not to call them out negatively, but I mean, they have, you know, they interview people all the time and it's like all of the resumes are very male dominated. They don't have a lot of women that are kind of switching around looking for sales that want to join sales teams. So yeah, it's an interesting, it definitely is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I'm trying to think most of the sales team and Calissa, you've worked at, I mean, uh, your last company had so many employees, but I feel like all I've worked at, you know, three companies now, and that's just how it was in sales. How do you manage your ups and downs? Because I mean, any given day, you've got a thousand wins, a thousand losses, and the losses can be everywhere too, right? It's like you lose on the, nobody calls you back. Nobody replies to the email and you didn't get the bid. You got the bid. You lost the bid. You know, you knew, I mean, there's so many chances to lose and so many chances to win. How do you handle those ups and downs and kind of compartmentalize? We'll start with Calista. Yeah. Great question. You know, this comes up all the time because, you know, especially leading teams, you have people who have downs and you have to really talk to them and get them back up. And how do you do that? So you have to be open about talking about it. It's okay. One thing that I say, and the way that I handle it is exactly what you just said. This is sales is a roller coaster. It is an up and down all around, which is honestly why I think it's so exciting. It's the best job in the world because it's not boring. It's always changing. And so for me, whenever there are downs and you've lost an RFP that you put everything into it, I think um, the best salespeople are able to like really stop themselves, remind themselves one thing, which is the up is coming next. Here comes the wave, right? And I always say that to people, here comes the wave. There's one down. You got three coming next week. Let's focus on that. And then second, again, goes back to the always wanting to learn and educate yourself. And if you're a great salesperson, you have that in you. And so when you have a down, turning it into what can I learn out of this, it immediately gets you focused on, okay, let me get that pipeline up. Here's what I have to close. Here's how I'm going to do it. So it's hard to get stuck in a rut when you start to focus in that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, you know, just like Calissa said, I mean, it's a roller coaster. I think I literally posted that on my LinkedIn last week that this roller coaster, I mean, you know, just with um, the sales role in general and the pandemic and trying to manage the house and, you know, have all these professional emotions and all these personal emotions. It's hard. I think, you know, a good manager, a good boss, you know, someone that you report to who allows you kind of to have autonomy and then provides you empathy um, and just gives you that reminder. Cause there are days where I'm totally in a rut. Like, Oh, I just, you know, I mean, I started with innovate 
the week the pandemic started. And right away, I thought, oh, my goodness, like, this is not going to be good for me, you know, trying to dig or trying to just kind of build myself up from this. But having like a supportive team and manager who are like, I mean, remind me like where I've been or where I've come from or what we what I can still do. Um, and then it's a learning opportunity. We got, you know, you got a proposal and you lost it. But now you have seen what kind of proposals they send out and you know how to be the best partner for them in the future. You know, let's take it and learn from it and try and grow from it. But that's not to say I did buy a Margaritaville machine during the pandemic. So I mean, yeah, it's never easy, but I think you do find ways to cope. (laughs) That whole like work hard, play hard is very real in sales because of that roller coaster ride, I think. But Tacey, I just want to underscore what you said is sales is not an individual sport. You know, it looks like it, you're ranked, you're, you know, looking at your quota individual. It's not, you can't succeed if you're not working with a team and a coach. And so in terms of getting out of ruts or keeping yourself motivated, like, companies need to focus on sales culture. If you want to be successful and you want to grow, you better have a really kick-ass sales culture. And talk a little bit about that. What are the elements of a kick-ass sales culture? I love teams. I'm an athlete. I grew up playing sports. I played sports in college. Like I'm so passionate about team, like setup and what it takes to have a team that wins. And it applies to sales, of course. So I think we keep using a lot of the same words, but the most important thing to me to an incredible culture in any department, but in sales for sure, is transparency and clarity. So like right from the, you have to have the right people, right? But if you don't have clarity and transparency across teams and people and what are expectations and what does it look good? Like, what does it mean to do really well? And how do I get there? then you're just going to have people like clawing at each other and flopping all over each other on accident. It's just not so fun. So that foundation of a team in terms of processes and clarity, expectation setting, like sometimes people overlook that and they think, Oh, it means like have cocktail hours, like make sure the teams has nice teams chat. All of that's super important. But if you don't have the team culture set correctly, because you have the lines correct, people know who's doing what, then you're in trouble. So it starts to me with the foundation. And then yes, you build off of, it's to me top is so critical from executive team down. How we communicate with each other, how we communicate to delivery organizations, how Callista talks to Kevin who runs our research team. Everybody's watching that. And if it's empathetic and the culture is one of caring and we're together, we're aligned, we're in it together, you're going to drive that culture across the organization. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the culture is a huge piece of it. I think, you know, I've been on a couple of teams where it's like we almost, it felt like we were all kind of pitted against each other and it wasn't as empowering, you know, as you would hope. And then that really creates some hostility. And then when that happens, you don't even have that kind of team support, like Costa was sharing earlier, you know, I can lean on my colleague right now who I know has like amazing experience with a particular audience or with some type of product and they're totally willing to help me out and I'm going to help them out if they ever reach out to me. Whereas when people just start to kind of create that atmosphere of like, you didn't make a sale today and everyone else did, or, you know, just kind of that competition, I think that really builds up a lot of tension. And, you know, I think it was Ron Francella had told me, if you hire, you know, we hire adults 
And that's like how we, you know, we trust that you guys have the drive and initiative to get your job done working with each other because you're adults. So I kind of always try to remind myself to be an adult. It's okay to have a little, you know, (laughs) sarcasm here and there or a little tantrum, but ultimately I'm an adult and I'm a team player and I want to do what's right for all of that. And I think the culture plays into that big time. I think some of what you guys have said in my mind, the way that I take it is that there's definitely ups and downs and it's a roller coaster. And to the degree you can create clarity, security, transparency internally, salespeople don't have to worry about, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? What's my expectation? It reduces the noise and kind of the stress of the internal culture and really in some ways creates predictability that they can count on. These are the things that I need to do. Here are my metrics. This is what I can expect from my team. Yeah. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that clarity, then what happens is what Tacey was saying. And this happens, I see it all the time. What happens is micromanagement. And micromanagement is the worst sales culture. It is not fun when you get a call from your manager twice a day. Where are the bids? Why am I not seeing a win today? You're not on the board yet. Like, that is not fun. No one wants to be in a sales team like that. And I probably shouldn't say that because people are like, shoot, my manager does that every day. (laughs) But that's not fun. What's fun is knowing what to do because they're coaching you. And they're cheering you on and they're with you and for them to be proud of you, obviously, when you're nailing those things. And if you're not, again, coaching you to make sure that's happening, but that trust is there. And if they don't trust you because you can't get it done, I'm also an absolute proponent for performance management. I do it all the time. People are in the wrong roles and let's make sure that they're either coached and they have a chance to get there. And if they're in the wrong role, like help them get somewhere else. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? Because I feel like in a sales role, a lot of times you find yourself getting siloed because you've become like, you know, great at what you do or what you're selling. And so then they don't want, no one wants you to go to that like next level or to a a role that, you know, might be better suited because they just, they don't want to lose you. Because you're doing so well in that area. Yeah, in the dollar sign part. So, I mean, when you, as a manager, listen, when you're thinking of, sorry, I'm totally moving over to the moderator <laughs> piece, but, you know, I'm just curious, like, what, how do you, like, do you just look at someone and think they would be so much, you know, they would really excel in this particular role we should, you know, talk about? Is it more because they're not doing well and you think they would be better at something else or because they are doing well and you want to, if that makes sense? I mean, do you ever worry like, okay, if I move them to something else, that's like a dollar sign amount that I'm potentially going to have to make up for? No. And I would say run from those organizations. So this is just my opinion, but, um, and this is just me, I'm shooting it from the hip and this is true. I would be so happy if someone on my team took my job tomorrow and they know that. I want anybody who wants to be our CRO and I'll say it to them. You want to fuel cycle CRO? That's great. Let's get you there in five years. I'll find something else to do. Let me coach you into it. So the short thinking about dollar signs of a certain role and a quota over long-term people in the right role within your organization 
I have a lot of swear words for that, but that is not good leadership in my opinion. So we actually, so Fuel Cycle takes this very seriously. In our organization, our executive team, we do career development and it's not like, oh, let's fill out a form and then you're check it off. We feel like a good company. We as leaders are expected to have conversations with every single individual and identify who they want to be someday. Where do you want to be in five years? Tell me about that. Let's get you there. But also have honest conversations if they want to be somewhere that they're nowhere near prepared for. Or if it's somewhere where we as a coach think, you know, that's actually probably not the right move for you. Let's talk about that. But Tacey, if you want to be somewhere and you are ever pigeonholed in a role because you're good at it, find a way, push around, I would suggest, to get where you want to be or deserve to be. Yeah, no, that's great insight. And I'm by no means calling out my company or anything, but I just, I mean, having tons of friends in the industry and working here for so long, I feel like I have come across people who get into that situation. So I was just curious. It it happens. And honestly, and this sounds all like sometimes I feel like I sound fluffy and fuzzy, but at the end of the day, none of us are going to have jobs if we don't hit quota. None of us are going to be able to grow and be who we want to be someday if I don't hit my damn revenue target. So yeah, I've got like the best of the best who's almost going to double their quota for the year. And if he decides to go be in marketing, I'll be pissed. But will I support that? Right. Yes, but after I think, I think the that's the rub, though. Part. I think that right. sometimes there's a disconnect in terms of timing, right? You got to manage the business goals and you got to manage the personal goals. And everything we've been talking about makes sense to have those conversations. But sometimes when the time horizon is out of whack, I think that's when you really see some major tension. And it's kind of like, oh, are they just ignoring me? And they're telling me the story. So we just move on from this conversation. Well, that's what a big piece of that is kind of that that first of the month, first of the year mindset that we get into where you go back to zero every time. And so that's why I think a lot of people stop and have so short sightedness is because they're worried, okay, what does next month, quarter, year look like as far as goal wise? And how long is it going to take me to ramp up somebody when really, like Callista is saying is you plan out for what is that next person in line up. And so if someone wants to leave, what does the person under them go through? You know, what type, you know, and you set up a whole picture and like, it's not just like the employee hierarchy chart in itself is just a stupid ass piece of paper, but it really should be a list of how you're scaling all the way down. And that's like, even like talk about EOS, like entrepreneur operating, you know, like the book traction, having the right people on the right seats on the bus. And ultimately, you'll be better off if you have the right people versus what's best for you in that 30-day, 90-day, 365 time. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining. And this is really helpful, insightful, and hopefully others can learn from it. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.